Who here likes to fish? Let me see your raise of hands. Okay. Um, I'm glad for you. Fishing is not in my genes, although it is in my last name. Okay, you would think with a last name of fish that someone would avoid. My dad does. My mom does. Um, I just don't like it. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to offend anybody. I just don't like fishing. Okay. Um, I don't know the methods and the tricks for catching fish, and I'm sure if I spent some time talking to you, uh, you would instill in me uh, lessons that you have learned that work for you for catching fish and enjoying them uh, on the supper table. And while fishing is kind of the heaviest thing in our area, and unfortunately with the flooding, it's not very easy right now, uh, we're going to talk about something else that involves fishing, uh, but a different type of fishing that has a different result this morning. Now, I must before I get into the outline and such, I, I have to explain what's going on here. Obviously, Matthew is not Hebrews, right? Uh, Hebrews is very uh, an epistle uh, with heavy, 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 heavy stuff in it that at times was felt like wading through mud. Um, but Matthew's different. Now, the Gospel of Matthew is narrative. And if you know your grammar, uh, narrative is to tell a story, right? That's why narrative exists. Um, a, a great example of this is the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings and what we've been going through uh, during the, the Sunday school time, the ABF time. Yeah, that's narrative. That's designed to tell a story with a point. And here in the New Testament, it follows the same pattern as the Old Testament. The narrative that we see before us is a story telling us in, in, in a, the big picture form the life of Jesus. Here in the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus' life, his ministry, and the information that is here is for our learning, but not all of it is for our benefit. For example, um, verse 21, going on there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, and the boat was Zebedee, their father, many in their nets. You know, we can't really get any spiritual stuff out of that, Right? And I know there have been preachers in the past who have tried to spiritualize these texts. I would urge you not to. Um, these types of verses are for our information. They support the main emphasis of the story. And as such, should be treated that way. Okay? There's no, you know, the mending their nets doesn't mean, doesn't emphasize Christ mending our lives. So some might take this. No, it's more of just saying, hey, James and John were fixing their nets. Okay, that's it. All right. And so, because this is a narrative, because this is a story, it's going to be preached differently. Okay? I'm not going to have uh, four main points that support a proposition, okay? like I normally do, right? Normally in our experiences in Ephesians and Hebrews, um, you've noted me to have the proposition first, and then have all the main points to support that proposition, right? Well, how I preach narrative is I go through the points first, and then say the proposition last. Okay? So just to give you a heads up, that's what's going to happen. Now, sometimes I may throw a curveball at you and put it in the middle, because that may be the way the story turns out. But for most of probably the series, it'll be towards the end. And so each time as we approach uh, each sermon in the series, what we'll do is we'll work through the story. I'll explain it out, hopefully, in a way that makes sense, and draw a conclusion at the end. 
Now, for your benefit, I, I did some alliteration for you for our main points this morning. I'm not very big into alliteration, but it worked out, okay? So we're talking about the context, the call, and the conclusion, okay? Context, call, conclusion. So the context. What is the context of this story? Jesus is ministering in Galilee. You can go back to verses 12 to kind of pick this up, okay? Um, he begins his ministry after temptation. Verses 1 through 11 is in temptation of Christ. And where through that experience, Jesus is affirmed as the Son of God and the perfect Messiah who can, who can bear the sins of the world. That's why we have the temptation, right? That's why we have him going through the fasting 40 days and 40 nights. It was to prove to the world and to even to Satan himself that Jesus is the one who will ultimately defeat him. Verse 12 says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. So he, he hears about his cousin being put in prison, so he's departing to the northern part of the nation. And he goes, verse 13, and he lives in Capernaum. And if you know anything, I meant to put a map on the screen, but I did not, so I apologize for that. But Jesus is now living in the north, northeastern part of the Sea of Galilee. If you've ever been to Israel, you know where that is. All right, Capernaum, uh, you can still visit it there today. It is not there anymore. Uh, but you can go visit. It's in the northeastern part of the Sea of Galilee. It was a big harbor uh, for all the fishing uh, efforts in the area. So verse 18 really of this passage kind of zooms in on where Jesus is living, what Jesus is doing. Because in verse 17 it says that from that time forward, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here's the, here's the main gospel message that Jesus is propagating. And it is in this spirit of preaching repentance that Jesus now goes towards the Sea of Galilee. Verse 18, Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea. So he's walking along the Sea of Galilee. He sees Simon, or who would later be called Peter, and Andrew casting a net. What is the word net? And the word net describes a circular net that was used for catching fish. And this would have been a common sight in ancient Israel to see fishermen all throughout the Sea of Galilee just kind of throwing these huge nets out that, that still exist today that had weights on them. And the weights were designed to pull down on any fish that were caught and keep them secure as the fishing net was drawn in. Another word we might use is dragnet. How many of you remember the old TV show, the old radio program, Dragnet? Do you remember that? In police terms, what's a dragnet? A dragnet is where policemen circle a certain area and they close in thinking that the suspect will be caught and arrested. Well, in the same way, fishermen threw out a drag net to make sure that the fish were caught as they pulled the net in. And nowadays, uh, in our, our modern times, it's used by machines. Okay? But notice the next description of these men in verse, at the end of verse 18. It says, for they were fishermen. And the word is intentional here that Matthew uses. It describes their occupation and who they were. The author Jeffers, in his book, Greco-Roman World of the New Testament Era, says this about fishermen in Galilee. Quote, an independent fisherman could make a living. 
but initial costs and maintenance of the nets, boats, and other equipment were high, unquote. So there was an opportunity to make a living fishing. And then it was, it was the main staple of food source in Israel at that time. But it was very expensive to do. This is why fishermen often work together in cooperatives to reduce costs and pool resources that the, so that a living could be made. The other, one of the other parallel passages to Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 22 is Mark. Mark chapter 1, starting verse 12. And Mark will mention the fact that James and John and their father Zebedee had hired servants. So they ran these cooperatives together, and those cooperatives allowed them to make more money, and in doing so, they hired other people to help them. Okay, so we might use in our modern terminology um, a construction company, for example, that has, uh, comes together to work on a specific building, and because they're able to make their bid and start working and gain those finances, they hire more people to help them. Okay? So that's what it was. Uh, as they, they were living their lives in the Sea of Galilee. They were, there was nothing outstanding about these guys. They were just simply working their occupation and living everyday life when Jesus stepped into it. And let me just pause there for a second. And, and by way of application, by way of just a thought for you this morning, Jesus is not looking for anyone. Just, Jesus is looking for anyone to follow him, and they do not have to be unique for them to qualify. Right? Look, look what Jesus does. He, he goes and he sees two fishermen, and we'll get into what he does next. And that's it. There's these two guys who are fishing. There's nothing outstanding about them. They're going about their daily lives. They're doing their daily business. It, it, was, it was at times profitable. But that was it. And today in our day and age, we kind of have this idea that Jesus is looking for that one unique individual to save and to just get light on fire for ministry and to be used by him. But guess what? Jesus is looking for anyone. Folks, he's looking for anyone. And it's not that Jesus is desperate. He's not. Jesus doesn't need you and me. But Jesus is looking for anyone, and they don't have to fit a specific set of qualifications. So when we're witnessing to people, don't have a preconceived idea in their mind of what they have to meet. God needs, God doesn't need, God wants everyone. What, what does Peter say? God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So that has to be the same perspective that you and I have. From the, from the, the gentleman on the street who's begging for food to the druggie who's shooting it up in a back alley. The gospel's for them. The good news is for them. And Jesus does not take into consideration the background, the occupation, or even the sight of these guys. Because they would have been dirty. They've been working hard. Yet he, yes, smelly, very good. Fish would have been reeking from them. But yet he steps into their world and makes his call. Verse 19 is the call. Jesus invites ordinary people to follow him. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Just pause here for a second. Think about that. You're Andrew and Peter. You're fishing. Think about that. You're fishing out in the lake and someone comes up to you and says, hey, follow me. What would you do? I'd start asking questions. Like, who are you? Why do you want me to follow you? What, 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 where are we going? 
And we'll get to the reason. I'm, I'm jumping a little ahead on myself, but they don't do that. Look, look at the invitation. He encourages these men, these two brothers, to consider his invitation. Now, the word follow here, you would, you would see this uh, in our English language as a verb, right? It says, follow me. It's not a verb in the original. It's an adverb. It's a descriptive word. And it's an encouragement to an action. So another, another uh, way we might see it, say it in our modern day language is, hey, come here, come on, and follow me. A, a biblical example of this is John chapter 4, verse 29. You remember that story where the woman of Samaria goes back to her townsmen and, and says, it invites them to come see Jesus. You remember what she says? She says, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Is this not the Christ? That's the same term. Come, see, observe. Come on, you, you need to come with me on this, is what she's saying. She is so shocked that Jesus has stepped into her life and changed it radically that she needs others to come along to see it. And so what Jesus is doing, he's saying, follow me, come after me. Another word there in the original is the word after, so we could say follow after me. It emphasizes following after someone or someone who precedes it. And that pronoun me highlights who they're to follow. Just, Jesus doesn't say follow, he says follow me. I'm the one you're supposed to follow. Which is not how things were done back then. This is, this is one of those things, again, that jumps out to you on the pages of Scripture. Jesus didn't follow the ordinary customs. L listen to what uh, Grant Osborne in his commentary on Matthew says about this very action of Jesus saying, follow me. Quote, Jesus departs from custom. Disciples chose which rabbi they wanted to train under. By, uh, and by choosing his own followers, Jesus departs from custom. End quote. A modern-day example would be uh, choosing your own degree. Um, obviously, after, after high school comes college. We're in graduation season. Um, high school uh, here in Iowa Falls graduates today, and many of those students will move on. A lot of them will go to here to Rainy River Community College. Others will move on. I was talking to Jen Hartzler, who cleans our church. She's a member down at Northwoods Bible in Ray, and she was kind of informing me what her, daughter, her oldest daughter is going to do. She's graduating today. Uh, she will be staying here at Rainy River for about a year or two, and then she'll go to Bemidji State, where she'll major in nursing uh, with an emphasis on possibly going into missions for nursing. Um, that's her degree field. That's what she will choose uh, to study in. And by doing so, she's making a choice, right? You remember back in your college days and grad days, you made the choice. You signed up for classes. You chose what, um, what particular degree to follow. Your professor didn't come to you... You didn't have a random professor come to you and say, hey, I choose you for my program. No, you chose the program. You chose what path, path you would follow. Jesus doesn't do that. Traditionally, rabbis just kind of stood out there, opened up their invitation, and the disciples chose. Jesus chooses his followers. Jesus is the one who says, follow me. And that would have been sufficient, right? I... I as you're looking at the story, you would have been satisfied with the, with the two words, follow me. 
and been, and been good with those words. But look at what he says next. And, then, and I will make you fishers of men. Yes, the invitation is to follow Jesus, but there's more to it. Peter and Andrew are invited to become fishers of men. The word, that, that verb will make, means to do or to make with a focus on the preparation and accomplishment to do that particular task. And the first person verb of the grammar shows the responsibility of doing this is on Jesus' shoulders, not theirs. It says, I will make you fishers of men. Not you will become fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. Which leads me to stop for just a second and, and just encourage us to think about it's not up to you and me to get all this stuff done. And Jesus has to work through us. You know, oftentimes you look at the task that Jesus called us, whether witnessing, discipleship, and you know, just the different ministries of the church kids club on Wednesday afternoons, we look at it and we say, God, I don't know how I'm going to get it done. It's not about you and I. It's about God working through us. God preparing us to do the work, God equipping us to do the work, God being with us in the work. And that's what Jesus says here. I will make you fishers of men. Not you're going to become, I will do it. Aren't you glad that your Savior stands behind you as you do the work of the ministry? As you witness for Him, as you disciple for Him, you are not alone. And here the word fishers of men, that term plays off of what Peter and Andrew's occupation is. No longer would they fish for fish that will end up dead when caught. Now will they catch living men who will experience eternal life through Jesus Christ. Their net is the gospel and their wages will be more disciples committed to the cause of the kingdom of God. It's no longer getting paid for dead fish that you haul to the market. Now the invitation that Jesus extends to, Simon, to Peter and Andrew is, hey, come work for me and, and, and show people more about me and let's gain more disciples for the kingdom of God. Because that's what he's doing. Look at verse 17. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is all about the kingdom. About God coming and setting up his rule and reign on earth. That's what this is about. And Jesus' invitation changes the path of Peter and Andrew. He changes their occupation and purpose. He gives them a radically different life that will take them on an unforgettable journey. And isn't that what God does for us? You think about your life 20 years ago. Let's just use 20 years ago as an example. And you're, you're, you're on your journey of faith. You're running the race of faith as we talked about the past few weeks. And you think about it now. Hasn't God done some amazing things in taking you on an unforgettable journey? Now, have there been bumps on the way? Have there been different <laughs> sliding off paths that have just got taking you different? Yeah. But when you commit fully to Jesus Christ, He gives you a radically different life that will leave you speechless as you walk the path. And that was what it was for Peter, and Andrew. And then notice the conclusion. 
Very simply, they follow him. They immediately left their nets and followed him. The response is quick. That's the word immediately. It emphasizes an immediate response instantaneously. There's no delay. There's no questions. There's no, hey, can we ask you to sit down and interview for you for a minute? There's no delay in their response. They immediately leave behind their nets and follow him. That word left is very interesting. It means to move away with the implication of causing a, separate, a separation. The idea is to abandon to abandon and never go back. Now, obviously, we do know that they did go back several times. But the emphasis is still there. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And the term follow there means to, to follow someone as a disciple. So they are purposeful in their actions. They immediately leave their nets and they follow him. They don't just drop their nets and just start discussing it. They leave their nets and they follow Jesus. I mean, just picture with that with me for a second. How hard would that have been? Because we know from Scripture, Peter's at least married. Okay, he's got a family. Uh, both of them have jobs, and we we assume lucrative jobs. Um, they've been in the area for a while. This is their home. Okay, so you got family, job and they leave it behind to follow him. That kind of blows your mind, doesn't it? Why would they do this? It's because of the invitation of Jesus. It's what he calls them to do. That's it. And look at James and John. Look at their response. It's the same thing. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and son of... He's, Jesus is really into the brother thing, right? He's really into family. Uh, for his disciples, saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. You know, they're, they're fixing the broken lines, and they're making sure that any repairs that are needed for the next day's uh, fishing are done, so they can't, no, no fish will s- slip through. They're working with the hired services, servants, as Mark says. And in verse 21, he called them. The word called there means to, to identify by name or attribute. And he may say, hey guys, or hey fishermen. And we can assume that Jesus used the same invitation as he did with Peter and Andrew, but we're not told. But we can assume that, and I think we have good evidence for that. And look at their response. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Same terminology, same action. And by doing so, Peter, Andrew, James, and John show that their lifestyle, family, and other priorities don't matter anymore. Jesus is now the priority because he has said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You kind of say, well, pastor, that's nice. What's the point? The point is this. A follower of Jesus is a witness for him. The two go together. You see, people today in our Christian circles like to separate them. Oh, I'll follow Jesus, but witnessing is for someone else. 
I will gladly call myself a follower of Christ. But I'll leave the witnessing, the evangelism to someone else. Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say, follow me and leave the job to others. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the direct opposite is true. People say, well, I, I like to witness for Jesus, but then I like to live my life the way I want to. No, the two go together. Disciple, evangelizer, if I can use that term. Fisher of men. The two go together. And brothers and sisters, in your Christian walk, in your race of faith, evangelism and discipleship, being a follower of Jesus, means you're also a witness for him. Now, some of you may be scared by that term. I hope you aren't. I, I know I have been in my life. But the whole purpose of us following Jesus is not only to follow him and to reflect him in our lives, but it is to make more people for him, more disciples for him. Isn't that what Matthew 28, 19, and 20 is all about? When Jesus comes after he's resurrected and he, he, he makes his appearance to his disciples, remember what he says? I'll read it so I don't misquote it. Verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. How do you make disciples? You witness. You evangelize. Now the response is up to them. We've talked to them about that before. But we're still supposed to, as we are going, as we are following, as we are running our race of faith, make disciples. That's how we're going to grow as a church. That's how we're going to impact our community is being a follower of Jesus Christ who is a witness for Him. The two go together. They are not separate. So brothers and sisters, as you think about fishing this week, think about your responsibility as believers to not only be a follower for Christ, but a witness for Him as well. And those two responsibilities that you and I have are to be consistent in our lives until our lives on this earth are through.